Section 18 of The Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clatt. The Children of Odin, The Book of Northern Myths, by Parik Kolum. Part 3. Chapter 6. Baldur's Doom. In Asgard there were two places that meant strength and joy to the Aesir and the Vanir. One was the garden where grew the apples that Iduna gathered, and the other was the peace-stead, where, in a palace called Breidablik, Baldur the well-beloved dwelt. In the peace-stead no crime had ever been committed, no blood had ever been shed, no falseness had ever been spoken. Contentment came into the minds of all in Asgard when they thought upon this place. Ah, were it not that the peace-stead was there, happy with Baldur's presence, the minds of the Aesir and the Vanir might have become gloomy and stern, from thinking on the direful things that were arrayed against them. Baldur was beautiful. So beautiful was he that all the white blossoms on the earth were called by his name. Baldur was happy. So happy was he that all the birds on the earth sang his name. So just and so wise was Baldur that the judgment he pronounced might never be altered. Nothing foul or unclean had ever come near where he had his dwelling. Tis Breidablik called, where Baldur the Fair hath built him a bower, in the land where I know least loathliness lies. Healing things were done in Baldur's stead. Tyr's wrist was healed of the wounds that Fenrir's fangs had made, and there Frey's mind became less troubled with the foreboding that Loki had filled it with when he railed at him about the bartering of his sword. Now, after Fenrir had been bound to the rock in the faraway island, the Aesir and the Vanir knew a while of contentment. They passed bright days in Baldur's stead, listening to the birds that made music there. And it was there that Bragi the poet wove into his never-ending story the tale of Thor's adventures amongst the giants. But even into Baldur's stead foreboding came. One day, little Hnosa, the child of Freya and the lost Odur, was brought there in such sorrow that no one outside could comfort her. Nanna, Baldur's gentle wife, took the child upon her lap and found ways of soothing her. Then Hinosa told of a dream that had filled her with fright. She had dreamt of Hela, the queen that is half-living woman and half-corpse. In her dream Hela had come into Asgard, saying, A lord of the Aesir I must have to dwell with me in my realm below the earth. Hinosa had such fear from this dream that she had fallen into a deep sorrow. A silence fell upon all when the dream of Hnosa was told. Nanna looked wistfully at Odin All-Father. And Odin, looking at Frigga, saw that a fear had entered her breast. He left the peace-stead and went to his watch-tower, Hlidskjalf. He waited there till Hugin and Munid should come to him. Every day his two ravens flew through the world, and coming back to him told him of all that was happening and now they might tell him of happenings that would let him guess if Hela had indeed turned her thoughts toward Asgard, or if she had the power to draw one down to her dismal abode. The ravens flew to him, and lighting one on each of his shoulders, told him of things that were being said up and down Yggdrasil, the world-tree. Ratatosk the squirrel was saying them, and Ratatosk had heard them from the brood of serpents that with Nidhogg, the great dragon, gnawed ever at the root of Yggdrasil. He told it to the eagle that sat ever on the topmost bough, that in Hela's habitation a bed was spread and a chair was left empty for some lordly comer. 
and hearing this, Odin thought that it were better that Fenrir the wolf should rage ravenously through Asgard than that Hela should win one from amongst them to fill that chair and lie in that bed. He mounted Sleipnir, his eight-legged steed, and rode down toward the abodes of the dead. For three days and three nights of silence and darkness he journeyed on. Once one of the hounds of Helheim broke loose and bayed upon Sleipnir's tracks. For a day and night Garm, the hound, pursued them, and Odin smelled the blood that dripped from his monstrous jaws. At last he came to where, wrapped in their shrouds, a field of the dead lay. He dismounted from Sleipnir and called upon one to rise and speak with him. It was on Volva, a dead prophetess, he called. And when he pronounced her name he uttered a rune that had the power to break the sleep of the dead. There was a groaning in the middle of where the shrouded ones lay. Then Odin cried out, Arise, Volva, prophetess. There was a stir in the middle of where the shrouded ones lay, and a head and shoulders were thrust up from amongst the dead. Who calls on Volva the prophetess? The rains have drenched my flesh, and the storms have shaken my bones for more seasons than the living know. No living voice has a right to call me from my sleep with the dead. It is Vegtam the wanderer who calls. For whom is the bed prepared and the seat left empty in Hela's habitation? For Baldur, Odin's son, is the bed prepared and the seat left empty. Now let me go back to my sleep with the dead." But now Odin saw beyond Volva's prophecy. "'Who is it,' he cried out, "'that stands with unbowed head and that will not lament for Baldur? Answer, Volva, prophetess!' "'Thou seest far, but thou canst not see clearly. Thou art Odin. I can see clearly, but I cannot see far. Now let me go back to my sleep with the dead.' Volva, prophetess, Odin cried out again. But the voice from amongst the shrouded ones said, Thou canst not wake me any more until the fires of Muspelheim blaze above my head. Then there was silence in the field of the dead, and Odin turned Sleipnir, his steed, and for four days, through the gloom and silence, he journeyed back to Asgard. Frigga had felt the fear that Odin had felt. She looked toward Baldur and the shade of Hela came between her and her son. But then she heard the birds sing in the peace-stead, and she knew that none of all the things in the world would injure Baldur. And to make it sure, she went to all the things that could hurt him, and from each of them she took an oath that it would not injure Baldur, the well-beloved. She took an oath from fire and from water, from iron and from all metals, from earths and stones and great trees, from birds and beasts and creeping things, from poisons and diseases. Very readily they all gave the oath that they would work no injury on Baldur. Then, when Frigga went back and told what she had accomplished, the gloom that had lain on Asgard lifted. Baldur would be spared to them. Hela might have a place prepared in her dark habitation, but neither fire nor water, nor iron nor any metals, nor earths, nor stones, nor great woods, nor birds, nor beasts, nor creeping things, nor poisons, nor diseases, would help her to bring him down. Hela has no arms to draw you to her, the Aesir and the Vanir cried to Baldur. Hope was renewed for them, and they made games to honour Baldur. They had him stand in the peace-stead, and they brought against him all the things that had sworn to leave him hurtless. And neither the battle-axe flung full at him, 
nor the stone out of the sling, nor the burning brand, nor the deluge of water would injure the beloved of Asgard. The Aesir and the Vanir laughed joyously to see these things fall harmlessly from him, while a throng came to join them in the games—dwarfs and friendly giants. But Loki the hater came in with that throng. He watched the games from afar. He saw the missiles and the weapons being flung, and he saw Baldur stand smiling and happy under the strokes of metal and stones and great woods. He wondered at the sight, but he knew that he might not ask the meaning of it from the ones who knew him. He changed his shape into that of an old woman, and he went amongst these who were making sport for Baldur. He spoke to dwarfs and friendly giants. "'Go to Frigga and ask! Go to Frigga and ask!' was all the answer Loki got from any of them. Then to Fensalir, Frigga's mansion, Loki went. He told those in the mansion that he was Groa, the old enchantress who was drawing out of Thor's head the fragments of a grindstone that a giant's throw had embedded in it. Frigga knew about Groa, and she praised the enchantress for what she had done. "'Many fragments of the great grindstone have I taken out of Thor's head by the charms, I know,' said the pretended Groa. Thor was so grateful that he brought back to me the husband that he once had carried off to the end of the earth. So overjoyed was I to find my husband restored that I forgot the rest of the charms, and I left some fragments of the stone in Thor's head." So Loki said, repeating a story that was true. "'Now I remember the rest of the charm,' he said, "'and I can draw out the fragments of the stone that are left. But will you not tell me, O Queen? What is the meaning of the extraordinary things I saw the Aesir and the Vanir doing?" "'I will tell you,' said Frigga, looking kindly and happily at the pretended old woman. "'They are hurling all manner of heavy and dangerous things at Baldur, my beloved son, and all Asgard cheers to see that neither metal nor stone nor great wood will hurt him.' "'But why will they not hurt him?' said the pretended enchantress. "'Because I have drawn an oath from all dangerous and threatening things to leave Baldur hurtless,' said Frigga. "'From all things, lady? Is there no thing in all the world that has not taken an oath to leave Baldur hurtless?' "'Well, indeed, there is one thing that has not taken the oath, but that thing is so small and weak that I passed it by without taking thought of it.' "'What can it be, lady?' "'The mistletoe, that is without root or strength. It grows on the eastern side of Valhalla, I passed it by without drawing an oath from it. Surely you were not wrong to pass it by. What could the mistletoe, the rootless mistletoe, do against Baldur? Saying this, the pretended enchantress hobbled off. But not far did the pretender go hobbling. He changed his gait and hurried to the eastern side of Valhalla. There a great oak tree flourished, and out of a branch of it a little bush of mistletoe grew. Loki broke off a spray and with it in his hand he went to where the Aesir and the Vanir were still playing games to honour Baldur. All were laughing as Loki drew near, for the giants and the dwarfs, the Asinir and the Vana, were all casting missiles. The giants threw too far, and the dwarfs could not throw far enough, while the Asinir and the Vana threw far and wide of the mark. In the midst of all that glee and gamesomeness it was strange to see one standing joyless. But so he stood, and he was of the Aesir, Hodur, Baldur's blind brother. "'Why do you not enter the game?' said Loki to him in his changed voice. "'I have no missile to throw at Baldur,' Hodur said. "'Take this and throw it,' said Loki. "'It is a twig of the mistletoe.' "'I cannot see to throw it,' 
said Hrodur. "'I will guide your hand,' said Loki. He put the twig of mistletoe in Hodur's hand, and he guided the hand for the throw. The twig flew toward Baldur. It struck him on the breast, and it pierced him. Then Baldur fell down with a deep groan. The Aesir and the Vanir, the dwarfs and the friendly giants, stood still in doubt and fear and amazement. Loki slipped away, and blind Hodur, from whose hand the twig of mistletoe had gone, stood quiet not knowing that his throw had bereft Baldur of life. Then a wailing rose around the peace-stead. It was from the Asunir and the Vana. Baldur was dead, and they began to lament him. And while they were lamenting him, the beloved of Asgard, Odin, came amongst them. "'Hela has won our Baldur from us,' Odin said to Frigga, as they both bent over the body of their beloved son. "'Nay, I will not say it.' Frigga said. When the Aesir and the Vanir had won their senses back, the mother of Baldur went amongst them. "'Who amongst you would win my love and good will?' she said. "'Whoever would let him ride down to Hela's dark realm and ask the queen to take ransom for Baldur? It may be she will take it, and let Baldur come back to us. Who amongst you will go? Odin's steed is ready for the journey.' Then forth stepped Hermod the nimble, the brother of Baldur. He mounted Sleipnir, and turned the eight-legged steed down toward Hela's dark realm. For nine days and nine nights Hermod rode on. His way was through rugged glens, one deeper and darker than the other. He came to the river that is called Gjol, and to the bridge across it that is all glittering with gold. The pale maid who guards the bridge spoke to him. "'The hue of life is still on thee,' said Modgudur, the pale maid. Why dost thou journey down to Hela's deathly realm? I am Hermod, he said, and I go to see if Hela will take ransom for Baldur. Fearful is Hela's habitation for one to come to, said Modgudur, the pale maid. All round it is a steep wall that even thy steed might hardly leap. Its threshold is precipice. The bed therein is care. The table is hunger. The hanging of the chamber is burning anguish. It may be that Hela will take ransom for Baldur. If all things in the world still lament for Baldur, Hela will have to take ransom and let him go from her," said Modgudur, the pale maid that guards the glittering bridge. It is well, then, for all things lament Baldur. I will go to her and make her take ransom. Thou mayst not pass until it is of a surety that all things still lament him. Go back to the world and make sure. If thou dost come to this glittering bridge and tell me that all things still lament Baldur, I will let thee pass, and Hela will have to hearken to thee. I will come back to thee, and thou, Modgudur, pale maid, will have to let me pass. Then I will let thee pass," said Modgudur. Joyously Hermod turned Sleipnir and rode back through the rugged glens, each one less gloomy than the other. He reached the upper world, and saw that all things were still lamenting for Baldur. Joyously Hermod rode onward. He met the Vanir in the middle of the world, and he told them the happy tidings. Then Hermod and the Vanir went through the world, seeking out each thing and finding that each thing still wept for Baldur. But one day Hermod came upon a crow that was sitting on the dead branch of a tree. The crow made no lament as he came near. She rose up and flew away and Hermod followed her to make sure that she lamented for Baldur. He lost sight of her near a cave, 
and then before the cave he saw a hag with blackened teeth who raised no voice of lament. "'If thou art the crow that came flying here, make lament for Baldur,' Hermod said. "'I, Thaukt, will make no lament for Baldur,' the hag said. "'Let Hela keep what she holds.' "'All things weep tears for Baldur,' Hermod said. "'I will weep dry tears for him,' said the hag. She hobbled into her cave, and as Hermod followed, a crow fluttered out. He knew that this was Thaukt, the evil hag, transformed. He followed her, and she went through the world, croaking, "'Let Hela keep what she holds! Let Hela keep what she holds!' Then Hermod knew that he might not ride to Hela's habitation. All things knew that there was one thing in the world that would not lament for Baldur. The Vanir came back to him, and with head bowed over Sleipnir's mane, Hermod rode into Asgard. Now the Aesir and the Vanir, knowing that no ransom would be taken for Baldur, and that the joy and content of Asgard were gone indeed, made ready his body for the burning. First they covered Baldur's body with a rich robe, and each left beside it his most precious possession. Then they all took leave of him, kissing him upon the brow. But Nanna, his gentle wife, flung herself on his dead breast, and her heart broke, and she died of grief. Then did the Aesir and the Vanir weep afresh. And they took the body of Nanna, and they placed it side by side with Baldur's. On his own great ship, Ringhorn, would Baldur be placed with Nanna beside him. Then the ship would be launched on the water, and all would be burned with fire. But it was found that none of the Aesir or the Vanir were able to launch Baldur's great ship. Hirokin, a giantess, was sent for. She came mounted on a great wolf with twisted serpents for a bridle. Four giants held fast the wolf when she alighted. She came to the ship, and with a single push she sent it into the sea. The rollers struck out fire as the ship dashed across them. Then when it rode the water, fires mounted on the ship. And in the blaze of the fires one was seen bending over the body of Baldur and whispering into his ear. It was Odin, all-father. Then he went down off the ship, and all the fires rose into a mighty burning. Speechlessly the Aesir and the Vanir watched with tears streaming down their faces, while all things lamented, crying, Baldur, the beautiful, is dead, is dead. And what was it that Odin, all-father, whispered to Baldur as he bent above him, with the flames of the burning ship around? He whispered of a heaven above Asgard that Surtur's flames might not reach, and of a life that would come to beauty again, after the world of men and the world of the gods had been searched through and through with fire. End of section 18